Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. <laughs> yeah, it is Friday, June 11th, 2021, and you ain't got shit to do. So it must be time for Morning Combat. Yes, the only show that's got you shook up, shook down, shook out on our loving. My name is Brian Campbell, that pasty beige bastard himself, the CEO of Good Times and Great Oldies in these parts. And with me, the around the way boy himself. He's, I don't know, the best analyst in the world today. Specifically, who's never had a pro fight, okay? Yes, that's a thing. His name is Luke Thomas, and Luke... Orange background, no Jay Friday, set in the stage for the weekend to come. How in the heck are you? Doing well. My daughter slept in today, so I got a good night of sleep. We got to see Clarissa Shields make her MMA debut last night, which I know we're going to talk about. We've got Bellator tonight. We've got uh, UFC tomorrow. It's a it's a hell of a weekend for fisticuffs. I'm very fine. true. Very true. If you've only been in these parts uh, dealing with all things Paul Brothers. Uh, <laughs> I will be there for you, guys. These five words I swear to you, I will not mention those names on this show. It's pretty much all MMA all the time. Maybe sprinkle in a little mini boxing preview, but we're back with a bang. It's Friday. Fired up to be here. Uh, we are creeping ever so slightly up on 90K subscribers on YouTube. So uh, whether you've been here all the time and you've been grazing or whether you're a new fan, whether you came over, from Below the Bell, our brother show on the Showtime Digital Network. Welcome, like the video, subscribe, follow us on the show on the uh, socials below. Uh, look, nobody does it better than MK, or, or does it like MK, okay? All day, nearly every day. It's what we do in these parts. Shout out to CBS Sports, Showtime, Malka, all the great people on our staff as well. Gaff, Corey, Al, Mike, I see all you guys. I see you, okay? Thank you for your, your patronage. Um... So, Luke, we got a great show. We're going to get into that shit. Uh, don't ask me about merch. Don't don't even. Don't even freaking. Don't even begin to ask me about merch, bro. People are insulting you now about that in my mentions. Uh, we're getting trolled by our own staff. blown up with BC slander. Yeah. Our, our staff is trolling us at this point, Luke. I don't even know what to say. We should tell the truth. We did. We've seen all the new gear. We did a giant photo shoot for like half a day. I got them in my. To in get my, ready for the big launch. Yeah, I got a, And there's no big launch. I got a stack of that shit. Okay, maybe I should just mail it out, Luke. Okay, is that what they need? They need some. They need a package and handler. You know, I used to be shipping manager at the factory. You know that, right? Yeah, I mean, not in the factory. You're, it's like this thing from the office. You're not the assistant manager. You're the assistant to the regional manager. But whatever, you know, sort of All counts. Right. Hey, Luke, you look really happy today and in general. Um, it's great to see. I think the people like it too, you know? Yeah, you know, I mean, mostly I'm dead inside. But, you know, occasionally uh, someone can get the paddles out and I can display a little humanity. Okay. Did you just come uh, fresh from the barbershop and fly from the beauty salon? And, and did you save money by uh, by not paying for uh, Matt Barnes's barber? I didn't pay for Matt Barnes's barber. I paid for the normal barber that I go to. Uh, shouts to Hell's Bottom in Washington, D.C. They take good care of me over there. And uh, I got it yesterday. Did so, you say so Hell's here. Bottom, Luke? That's the name of the place I go, Hell's Bottom. <laughs> Sounds like me mm -hmm. after the China Buffet. You know what I'm saying, Luke? 
Yes, I've had a couple of uh, Hell's Bottom situations myself, yeah, but yeah. Uh, no, it's yeah, a good they place. They got me ringing, Hell's Bottom. All right, uh, Luke. Any weekend plans before we get serious here? You got anything to say about life? No, we got fights. We got fights, and then I got a wedding on Sunday, and then yeah, so it'll be a bit. It'll be event. All right. Uh, we still we still pumping Showtime at Showtime.com. Thirty day free trial. I mean, why the hell would you not want to try this Showtime Championship Boxing in your face hole? Bellator MMA, the exclusive home in the States, right? Uh, movies, all access, uh, documentaries, all that great stuff that they got over there. Hey, how about shout out, Luke? Did you see that um, Outcry, the great documentary about Greg Kelly's uh, unfortunate hardship and redemption story has won, what, a sports Emmy? Did you see that? I did not see that. That's a, You know, I'm not surprised. We were p- pimping that, yes, because we're Showtime whores, but... Honestly, I had my wife watching it. She, it, it, it's, it's riveting. It's really, really, yeah. really good. I do regret that Pat Tillman joke, which delayed our interview going out by, I don't know, about a month. But uh, I don't regret uh, watching yeah. that show. So thank you, Showtime. Check that out for 30 days for free. I mean, wh- why else would you? Why, I mean, why wouldn't you? Really, at this point, why wouldn't you? It's not like we're asking you, if, you know, for your, for your credit, you know, your social security number or, your, uh, or any samples or anything. Um, all right, that's enough babbling for today. Um, we're about to get into the show because we got a big-ass weekend of fights to come, and nobody gets you fired up like the MK. Topic number one for this Friday, you guessed it, UFC 263, Glendale, I think it's Glendale, Arizona, greater Phoenix area. It's the, the site of the crime, so to speak, Luke, three years before when Israel Adesanya won a split decision in 2018 over Marvin Vittori. We're back in a headlining middleweight title rematch. Much bigger stakes this time. Obviously a loaded card. We're going to get into it. But let's simply talk about this main event. One day removed, as you can see on the images there, from a a shitbag wild press conference down there. It was great to see the fans back. It was great to see the energy. Luke, you have been a day one truther to this idea. Marvin Vittori's a great fighter. He's evolved since this loss. Five straight wins, all that great stuff. But did he really do that much in that first fight to warrant a split decision, to warrant a case for that fight, to really warrant any idea that he's a live dog entering this rematch? I want to say I went back and really rewatched it, you know, a fourth or fifth time here, this fight. Not 49 times, but, but fourth or fifth. I didn't see it either. I saw Adesanya control that first fight under much different circumstances in their career. Yeah, he was taken down in round three, but, you know, the refs stood him up. Nothing really happened. What has happened to Marvin Vittori in these three years that could get you into a feeling like this is the prime time for an upset in their rematch on Saturday night? Uh, well, I, I don't. I tend to think that Adesanya should win this, but I don't, But you're asking about, like, what... What would be a source of confidence in the chances and abilities of Marvin Vittori? And I would basically say a couple of things. I mean, whatever version you saw when he fought Adesanya, you could maybe say it's good enough to beat him. It's not good enough. But either way, it's a better version. It's a much better version. Cleaner setups, um, fuller array of takedowns, doesn't walk into as many traps, and has shown when tested metal over the course of 25 minutes, uh, good cardio, like... More of it has been about the revelation of some of the characteristics that underpin championship than, you know, just uh, technical maturation with fight skills themselves. It's kind of the marriage, a little bit of the two. So I think he deserves to be taken seriously in that way. And I think specifically when you point to what would be the way in which he would do it, and everyone knows, we think probably the takedown is going to be his best opportunity to get there. But we also know, one, you have to set those up with your strikes against the fence line. I've been very clear about this. The evidence is not ambiguous 
Adesanya's takedown defense along the fence line is superb. Out in space, that's where those vulnerabilities are created. In that third round in the first fight, BC, I think what you pinpointed was, you watch the first two rounds, they're not hard to call. Those are Adesanya's rounds pretty clearly. And as you indicated, it did get stood up. But this is the metric to me. If you look at the numbers, takedowns per 15 minutes that Marvin Vittori gets, this is sort of you know UFC career-wide, He's averaging 2.22, and he has a 53% accuracy rate. That's about, for the 53%, that's about right for someone at this level. 2.2, that means in 15 minutes, there's going to be at least two times, on average, he's going to get Adesanya down. And so it's not just about getting him down. It's about what he does on top, and more importantly, what Adesanya does underneath. To what extent does he stop any pass? Does he use his guard to set up a threat to create a scramble? Can he finish from his back, potentially? Or does he have enough strikes in that particular place to get it done? But if you're thinking about Marvin Vittori's chances, you have to like how cleaner his game is since the first fight. You have to like what the stats say about his volume attack. About you know, He may only get one of two takedowns, but what he does actually get them and how long he can hold them for. I do think that is a reasonable path to victory. You know, I want to say this positively about Vittori, and it, it's it's not dissimilar, and we talked about this on Wednesday, to the themes surrounding the great uh, Douglas Lima-Yaroslav-Amasov fight tonight on Bellator, which we're going to get into shortly, is that probably is the best time for Vittori to get this rematch from the standpoint of Adesanya coming off a loss up at 205, where, yeah, he had really for the first time in his UFC career like legitimate issues on the ground where he couldn't get back up, where where the much larger Blahovich used that size to hold him there and, and you know and win a close fight because of that wrestling uh dominance late. I don't know though, Luke. You know, and I love Vittori's aggression and it's got him this far. It's it's brought promise to the future of his brand strength and everything he brings out of Italy and Europe. And some people laugh when I say, you know, there's sneaky future star potential there, but you know, I see it. He's a savage. He goes after it. He was a freaking savage on Thursday during the press conference. But I wonder Luke, even though, yes, I can frame the, 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 the vision here that this is the best time for him to be fighting out I wonder if that ramped up aggression which he didn't necessarily show in the first fight. Go rewatch those first two rounds, as you mentioned. They are out of side your rounds. And I think that it was Vittori's durability and toughness which kept him in there so that he could push forward and land some lead strikes. I mean, really, his best strikes came off of, like, lead right hands and, and left hooks. But he didn't, you know, overcommit. He was just consistent pressure. Look, there's a lot more intensity in this rematch if Thursday's press conference means anything, and a lot of people like to say, look, the X's and O's are one thing. Screw all the paparazzi and the pro wrestling angles and all the energy from the press events. That means nothing. I tend to believe a lot of times it tells something. On Thursday, we saw Vittori really get kind of mentally controlled by Adesanya, who was able to light the match and poke the bear and kind of, you know, really kind of spark him off. I'm wondering if that plays into the fight. If Vittori's coming in here thinking, this is my chance, he feels like he's got an edge over Adesanya because he fought him the closest of anybody up to this point in a middleweight bout. I wonder if there's a dangerous line for him to stay close to where if he crosses that line of being too aggressive, he could eventually be tailor-made for everything that Adesanya does great as a counter-striker. Yes, we know job one is probably let try to take Adesanya down, but to your point, especially against the cage, it's just not easy. And he's not as big as Blahovich. Are you? Do you have any sort of the same fear that I do that Vittori's going to overcommit himself into a knockout? 
He could, or he could be really one note about it where he's like, you know what, I'm just going to use the Kevin Holland sort of path. Now, Kevin Holland's take down defense is not nearly as good as Adesanya's, but let's say, you know, he's able to get him down, but then just doesn't do a whole lot with it. That, to your point, in the first fight, in the third round, they got stood up from inactivity. He did hold him down, I think, for a few minutes, but there wasn't. There wasn't a whole lot going on. That's a winnable scenario for someone like Adesanya. And I pointed this out before. You know, when you watch the Blahovich fight, it's so fresh in our memory because that's the last one and it's his only professional loss in mixed martial arts. And it happened really somewhat on the feet, but mostly on the ground, right? Uh, and so we just, you can't get that out of your mind. But like, you know, the, Vittori is not Blahovich. I don't, he doesn't seem to be uniquely as good at passing or as committed to like those sort of technical refinements and the patience that goes with it like as to your point he's got this aggro attitude and I think it'll lift him sometimes it might hold him up here it's interesting man I really don't know I think this is one scenario where it's a guy like Adesanya should win this but the question is is Adesanya's deficiency going to cost him uh which means can Vittori really cross that threshold as a technical fighter? We're kind of holding the difference being like size and aggression versus technique. I think there's a way for for Vittori to potentially potentially prove that we have that calculus a little bit off where Vittori might actually be a lot more technical. But to your point, dude, yesterday he was raging at the guy. Now, Adesanya called it roid raging. I don't know about all that. But you're, you're right. Like, I'm normally one of these guys who's like, yeah, don't get into press conference theatrics or what people say in interviews, but Vittoria already known to be kind of aggressive. He was ramped up well beyond that. Is that going to derail everything? I don't know how you can dismiss that, at least paying attention to it in the fight tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, look, it was like you just touch him and he was on fire, ready to explode. If you're out of Sonya, that just feels like that's exactly where you want him to be in the cage. Come after you, set totally. traps, counter, slide, all that. Uh, to close up on sort of out mental makeup entering this where we can't overlook the fact that he just lost. But Luke, I tend to be a big, I have a big heart on for people taking losses well. Maybe I overvalue it, but when I saw Conor McGregor lose to Nate Diaz and go at 196 and go up to the mic and just take the L, he, he was able to rebound emotionally, mentally from losing that aura of invincibility and, and slid right into a mode of, I need to fix this and figure it out. I feel like everything we've seen from Adesanya from that night through yesterday's press conference has suggested that the loss to Blahovich doesn't mean a whole lot inside of him. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, everyone wanted that Adesanya loss to be... It's not that it wasn't big, especially as it relates to what Adesanya could have become as a potential star for the company. Still could, but, you know, not winning that doesn't necessarily help. In fact, it doesn't help at all, but... there was. I feel we'll see how things go tomorrow. Maybe this is this could be not true, but part of me feels like there was a overemphasis on some of the deficiencies that Adesanya had. And again, Vittoria will tell us whether or not that is true. But there, at least one, I think, reasonable interpretation, BC, such as we can call it, that is that one is that Blahovich's particular set of skills plus his size. And maybe some other factors that aren't necessarily relevant here are what led to that there. So that was still, if they ran that back a year from now, you could envision a scenario where Adesanya could win that. There, were, there was not a huge gap between them. It was just there was one liability that kept presenting itself. But overall, between them, 
there wasn't a huge difference. And so people are taking some of the lessons from that, which Adesanya obviously has some things to work on, and then magnifying it. That is at least one interpretation. The other interpretation, in fairness, of course, is that that's a lingering problem that's been there for a really long time that hasn't really been fully addressed. And now that it's been sort of shown to be a, a, a blueprint, other fighters can much more easily and aggressively follow it. Yeah, and, and we get accused at times of being, you know, ball huggers of Adesanya. You've got a long decorated past of, of respecting and loving everything going on at CKB. But I don't know, like, you know, there's people that scored the Adesanya Blahovich fight for Izzy, right? So, I mean, he was right there, Luke, okay? It's a clean, clear loss in my eyes, but it was a close fight. He was right there. And I think the real question here is, is Vittori on this level and or his level you know yeah he looked great against Hermanson yeah the win streak and the turnaround's been great but let's not overlook how big of a leap in class Vittori's gonna have to make to actually win this fight he's got sort of this uh I'd say a good foundation of 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 you know, aggression, even though I sort of made an argument that it could be used against him here to, to, to go in there and know that this is his chance and go, go for broke. But look, can he win this by decision? Can he win this in any other way than explosion and a knockout? If you're going to say no, then this could be a tough night for him, Luke. I mean, obviously, you know, a guy this big and this strong can win by stoppage. The money tends to be that um, he doesn't do enough in terms of actual damage to put someone of this caliber away but you know stranger things have happened just one more thing i'd like to point out that i think it's worth paying attention to and obviously um this will be a factor but not the only factor i just want to introduce it as something that we shouldn't lose sight of adesanya who pretty clearly is the superior striker of the two he has a six inch reach advantage here a four inch height advantage less the height less so as i think because he's probably gonna have a lower level anyway but he's got a six inch reach advantage you know in a bigger cage uh, which I think this will be, right, because they're not at the apex. So it'll be a bigger cage with a guy like that who's got a good jab, you know, and he's fleet of foot. Um, I don't think that will keep Vittori off of him forever, but that might be a very, very important factor where Adesanya sticks behind the jab and then over time it accumulates to a point where things get set up for him later on down the line. The big challenge, if you're going to take down a guy, is you got to get to him. For those folks who don't know, if you're going to take someone down with like a double or a single, you have to be able to touch them with your hand. That's how far away you should be when you shoot. So if you're six inches away from that because that guy is pumping his jab in your face, that's going to make things really difficult. Pay attention to yeah. what extent the six-inch reach advantage plays a role in this fight for Very Adesanya. Very true. Plus 210, our friends at William Hill have uh, Vittoria as the underdog. Minus 278 is the favorite Adesanya. That feels like a feels like a smart bet there, Luke, if you can get that kind of close odds on Adesanya because it feels like it would have sure. to be a disaster for him to lose I don't, I don't think Vittori can outskill him or straight up beat him, but he's going to have to prove that on Saturday night. This is a very interesting fight for a lot of reasons. Very much looking forward to it. Uh, can Adesanya reestablish his momentum, his brand, his dominance, all of that good stuff? And can he secure that Robert Whitaker rematch, which seems like it's coming and coming in a big way for all those folks down under there, Luke. Uh, transitioning to the co-main event, and good Lord, could this be a special one. Uh, it, last December, it was, of course, the flyweight title bout, Davison Figueredo fighting Brandon Moreno to a majority draw. They will run it back here, but Luke, again, circumstances will be different entering this rematch. And I think it's going to play a big part in how you and I analyze anal this. Anal analyze this um here's the deal let's not forget a few things the champ figueredo took that fight on what three weeks notice day headline back-to-back pay-per-views fourth 
f- appearance in the cage in the one in the calendar year. He went 3-0-1. He was a breakout star. He was my fighter of the year. Became the the face of the UFC flyweight division in short time. But Luke, something I even forgot during Wednesday's show when we were setting up the storylines, he was hospitalized the night before, like viciously. We know Figueroa struggles to make weight at this. And yet he went out there and fought 25 hellacious rounds and seemingly went for the finish like every single second of that fight and was docked a point in round three for a low blow. If that point is not docked for the kick to the groin, he wins that fight. Unanimous decision across the board. So that sets the stage there, uh, for me at least, of how we look at this rematch. I don't want to overlook everything Marino did to maybe exceed our expectations coming in. But as you look at all the factors here, do you feel like, still feel like this is Figueredo's fight to win based on everything I just said? You make a convincing case. You make a convincing case. I, I, Man, this is one of those situations where like, intuitively, I'll just be honest about where my head is at. This doesn't in any way mean like I'm wrecked. I'll, I'll, I'll die on this hill. I'll just tell you where I'm oriented. I'm oriented on the side of Figueredo being more or less who we thought he was. He is a little bit unrefined standing, but he's got big power. Um, he's obviously huge for the weight class, and he's got a fantastic jiu-jitsu game. Perfect for the flyweight division. Perfect for jiu-jitsu, where his clamp on your back, his clamp on chokes is quick, it's immediate, and it's powerful. It's just the perfect kind of jiu-jitsu to have for MMA. I still tend to think that's who he was. At the same time... You know, I've been wrong about Brandon Moreno a couple of times. I don't really want to be wrong about him again. And the resolve that he showed the first time, frankly, the chin that he showed, and frankly, the offense that he showed. We shouldn't lose sight of that. You're right. Without the point deduction, that was going to be Figueredo's fight. And I kind of thought he was the the superior guy of the two, but maybe in a weird way it didn't manifest itself fully in the fight as, as much as it could have. All this is to say... I've seen uh, guys have a back and forth, and this was a robbery the first time when Shogun lost to Machida, but that fight was long, it was the, the whole distance, and the decision made everyone upset. But then they rematched, and Shogun just ran right through him. Part of me feels like, uh, not that necessarily Figueredo's going to do that, maybe Moreno does it, but part of me feels like we're not going to get the same magic that we got the first time. Like, Vasquez Marquez, every time those guys fought except maybe the last one it was just this back and forth and back and forth and they were able to do it fight over fight over fight round over round over round sometimes rivalries aren't built that way the question is in this short distance who made the adjustment to get the better of the other guy dude how could we possibly know that if we're not in the training camps how could we possibly know that uh without inside information which in these two cases i don't have so honestly dude i'm like i am to me tabula rasa on this one blank blank slate I'm just going to wait and see what these guys come up with and see what lessons we can learn from the first fight. As you indicated, did the hospitalization really impact him? Were these guys able to make changes? Because I just don't know how to look forward, I, except that I am uh, looking forward to and, you it. Know, I don't want to come out here as some you know big uh, Figueredo super fan, even though I'm really loving this uh you know, I don't know if it's evolution or just, you know, figuring out how great he can be over the past year. Moreno did so many great things that, especially from an intangible standpoint, that need, you know, parading and love and send the man his flowers already. The chin, the adjustments, the pace, all that was great. But if that was the very best of who Brandon Moreno could be and Figueredo was in a hospital the night before and having kind of reoccurring weight issues and you give him seven months. Now, look, he could he's so big for this division that, you know, 
he could stumble into another weight issue. I mean, his body might be just outgrowing it for all we know. But if he's got seven months to get healed, rested, get on the right nutrition plan, reevaluate what he did right and wrong as the champion in that first fight, and come in here and skill for skill, I think he's a little bit better in a lot of categories. I really have to like the champion's chances. And it also has to show you, Luke, from an intangible standpoint again, how freaking tough is Davison Figueredo to be able to take all those circumstances against him? He was trying to, you know, capitalize on the opportunity the UFC gave him, opportunistic chances to headline back-to-back pay-per-view cards in a three-week window, four fights in a calendar year. He even had the hiccup, even though he beat Joe Benavidez the first time of missing weight. Well, then he came back and, and made the weight the second time and won the title almost even more dominantly. This is a force of nature right now, Figueredo, and I think ultimately... My vision, which is not always accurate or correct, is telling me that Moreno is like the perfect challenge to bring out everything that's great about Figueredo. But I don't know if he can finish him, Luke. And I think you're going to have to finish Figueredo. You know, I don't think you can outwork him. I think, like, what he can do at 125 with the pace, with that freaking jab, that jab is a monster weapon, Luke. He's a knockout threat to what you said on the ground. He can finish you at every time, at any point. If he can keep his body together at 125 and keep making this weight, this we might be in for a run here. I mean, look, the division's close in ability, and they're tough, and, and there's a lot of fun matchups you can interchange and get rematches out of. But do you get the same feel I do that Figueredo's just a little bit better than all these guys? I, I do. I do. I Again, I, I, I still believe that, like, you know, is he the next DJ, the next transcendent figure? Well, you know, I still believe that Flyweight is capable of parody, and maybe Brandon Moreno will show us, in fact, that that is exactly right. But uh, for now, I tend to think this is your best guy. I'm looking at some of the numbers from their first encounter, BC. It's amazing to look at significant strikes that landed uh, through the course of that fight, they had the exact same 28 in round one. Not much of a difference. Figueredo, 34 to 31 in round two. Slightly in Moreno's favor, 25 to 21 in round three. Almost no difference. Moreno, 40 to 38 of Figueredo. The only real difference, 16 to 8 Figueredo over Moreno in the fifth. He finished a little bit stronger there in that case and had the takedown. So um, it'll be curious to see like what these guys can show over the long haul. But to your point, yes, dude, Figueredo, like, the way he looked, I don't think was an accident prior to the Moreno fight. But the question is, when pushed for longer distances, he still can be a, a finishing threat. But do some of the other gaps in his game really begin to present itself, which is where Brandon Moreno had some shine the first time? We're going to find out, dude. We're going we're gonna to learn. Problem is, we don't know as much about Figueredo as we should at this level. This will tell us a little bit more. Uh, plus 175 is Moreno on the William Hill book. Figueredo minus 227. Very close fight. You got Figueredo predicting a finish. Uh, look, they're going to go for broke. I mean, look, I rewatched that first fight yesterday, Luke. I mean, it's just, it's bananas fireworks. It's, it's like the champ just going for the finish with everything. It was wild. What do you make of the push at Thursday's press conference, which was instigated by Figueredo? I don't give a fuck about that. I don't know. Okay. Sorry. Sorry, Luke. Sorry to bother you on here. your own show here with, with some trivial evidence of. Uh, well, I mean, it's just to me, it means absolutely nothing to me. I'll tell you this much, though. People seem to love Brandon Moreno. The Brandon Moreno, Nate Diaz, you know, buddy thing there was was fun to see. And and Dana White is right. If Brandon Moreno wins this and blows up and it's just the most amazing thing, dude, like he's gonna be a real I mean, I don't wanna I I, I don't live in Mexico. I don't wanna speak for for what happens there, but it just tends to be the case that if you become a UFC champion, it's a gateway to opening that market, to being a much bigger figure there, to just getting the kind of celebrity and attention and frankly acclaim 
um, that is otherwise eluding very, very good fighters. It's just a, an important designation, I think, for that market at this time. It would be big. It'd be big for him. It'd be big for all of Mexican fighters. It'd be a great moment. And he's a great personality. Like, he is a joy to interview Brandon Moreno. He's uh, doing TV work for the UFC Spanish uh, broadcast. And uh, you saw, I don't know if you watch Embedded, but he's got a house in Las Vegas. Where he's got a setup with all of his, uh, <laughs> all of his. Uh, I don't want to say action figures. Luke, we're grown men. We're grown adults who collect things, right? Are they action figures? What are they? His uh, dolls. Legos, dolls. I mean, you know, he he's just a fun-loving dude. A lot of, lot of big huevos. Tijuana, Tijuana-sized Wavos. So yeah. shout out to him if he. Let's let's not forget. Let's, BC, let's not forget. What's if you want to say anything else about Brandon Moreno, you can. What is one thing you can say about that first fight? He was absolutely in no way, shape, or form intimidated or yes. overwhelmed. Never, Never outmatched. Never. Was able he to was keep absolutely up, that up pace. for that challenge. Uh, look. Let's buckle up and enjoy the theater either way. The odds are very close. Cannot wait for this one. Luke, just as interesting, really. And maybe, you know, for what I said Wednesday, the Leon Edwards, Nate Diaz, welterweight bout, maybe not getting the attention that I'm normally expected and deserved of a Nate Diaz fight. That seemed to change, Luke, since we've recorded that show and certainly during Thursday's press conference. Now, this is the first five-round non-title, non-main event fight in UFC history. We're only getting this matchup because Nate Diaz asked for it. We talked Wednesday about the whole risk-reward. Could this make Nate sort of a... uh, you know, a late career at 36, title contender at welterweight if he wins. He's taking a big gamble. Luke, before we get into the matchup, how much did you enjoy Nate Diaz giving Marshawn Lynch-type answers during Thursday's press conference? The lighting was in such a way where you couldn't even see his face. It was like black underneath that hat. And then, Luke, the guy sparked a J. Nate Diaz literally lit up a joint during a UFC press conference and then, like, put his camera to the crowd, and the crowd's going nuts. They're giving him, like, the Tony Ferguson-level love. This felt good. It felt good, Luke. Can I tell you how much I want to smoke his fucking marijuana? You, so you know, Okamoto tweeted that that's his personal strain, Luke, that he sells. Yeah, it's like, I forget what it was called. It was like 4209, something like that. Um, I bet it's just, I bet it, I mean... Like, like, like Reef the Lost Cause says, that bitch will have you dancing with the stars like Rick Fox. I mean, that will fuck you up. So I'd love to try it. But someone asked me, someone asked me on the live chat, like, why are the Diaz brothers popular? Shit like that, dude. Shit like that. Like, they're just, they're just, they're not class clowns. They're like, they're like the, the, the bad boys of the high school, you know? And, and fans eat it up, and there you go. That's a great example of it right I, there. I couldn't help but laugh at many points, including Nate just being like, man, this is fun watching that shit, pointing to Adesanya and Vittori. I mean, it was, it was a classic Nate performance. But Luke, then when he stood off against Leon Edwards, excuse me, then it becomes more like, okay, now we got to fight here. Leon Edwards uh, bigger than him. And I know that was a joke meme that went around when Nate Diaz was interviewed on SportsCenter by Stan Verrett and was asked, you know, how are you going to deal with a guy who's naturally bigger than you? And Nate's like, I'm bigger than him. <laughs> and then Stan Verrett transitioned to the next question, Luke, in like a millisecond. It was like, it was like he knew the no-sell was coming. But did that tell you anything about what is, on paper, let's not lie, an uphill battle in this matchup for Nate? No. I mean, he tells me Nate's being Nate. Someone asked Nate when he was going to retire. He's like, I'm never retiring. I'm going to be here forever. He just gives these inane fucking answers now to these, you know, somewhat, I'm not going to say inane questions, but to questions he's probably heard a million times. I don't, I don't read too much into this. Really, this is, this is his, this is his challenge. 
He has to get a guy who doesn't make a lot of mistakes, who fights, uh, I would say carefully, smartly. I mean, there's, you can like that fact, you can hate that fact, but it's smart, okay? Very, very smart, very sound, very fundamental, very... He just understands what, what he wants to do. Very, This game has a lot of intention to it. You got to get that guy to either make a mistake with position, get tired, overcommit, something. Man, that's a that's a hard road. That's a that's a tough way to win. Very doable. He's going to have a lot of time to do it. And the one thing that keeps him alive, BC, is Leon Edwards is a very good fighter, not a devastating finisher. Now, it, I think the idea that Nate Diaz is like the very best version of himself in the fifth round is somewhat overstated. To that point, his average fight time is just ten minutes and fifty six seconds. Like it's inside of a normal fight range, anyway. But I will say that the amount of time that Edwards leaves Diaz in this fight is more opportunity for an inherently volatile situation, which is a fight, to let variable factors of um, chaos or mistakes being made, it, it leaves that door open. So, so that's really what he's, I think, banking on. But, you know, for a guy known for being very precise, I mean, I know that he had the, the eye poke in Bilal Muhammad's face. Okay, not great. But the, but the tape over the course of his career is pretty clear. He's a very, very smart, tactical, patient fighter. You got to get that guy off his game. Good luck. I mean, it seems like it's a, just a I mean, it's just a tough-ass style matchup, you know? Uh, I saw Edwards as high, Luke, as like a 6-7-1 to seven to one favorite early in the week. The odds have closed. Uh, William Hill has plus 400 for Nate as the underdog, minus 588 for Edwards. But... So it's like, okay, Nate better late. That's sort of the working theory. I get what you're saying. There's more opportunities for him to create a giant error from Edwards, which doesn't typically happen. But, Luke, Nate's also got a lot of scar tissue that I wish you saw, and uh, you leave him in there for 25 minutes. You know, that that's not something that's, that can help him just the same. Do you need to see Nate set the tone here? Get out first with the with the slapping jab and try to make this more trash talking street fight old school Diaz style. Like Edwards is not a guy who you look at and go, well, if I run a high pace on him, he'll 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 falter. I mean, you know, Edwards can do a lot of things. What do you do, Luke? Seriously, what do you do to Nate, if you're Nate Diaz? Are you going for the finish only? How do you win this fight? I think you got to bully Leon Edwards if you let him dictate how he moves, when he makes entries, when he disengages, how he disengages. If you are following him around the, the cage, that's not a recipe for success. You, maybe you'll get lucky, but you have to think about what are the conditions that have to be in play for Nate Diaz to win. I, and they're pretty much the same at this point. If someone wants to exchange with him in boxing range, which Leon Edwards will do, I think, a little bit, but probably, on a very, again, in very careful ways and probably a little bit more at kickboxing range than pure boxing range. You know, Michael Johnson really accommodated Nate Diaz in that way. And to an extent, so did Conor McGregor, at least in the first and somewhat the second fight. So what you have to do if you're Nate Diaz is, I'm going to go back to it one more time. It's the Anthony Pettis blueprint. Pettis is a very different fighter from uh, someone like Leon Edwards in, in, in innumerable ways. But the idea of getting a guy in front of you, pressuring him backwards, underhooking him if you have to, wearing him down, pulling on him, pushing on him, tons of body work, flurries against the fence, where you now can begin to get that guy moving backwards, walking him backwards, taking him out of his game. I think these conditions have to be in play because if he's getting pushed backwards and he's the one kind of following and he's allowing... Edwards to use all of the room or the different phases of the game and he's kind of reacting to it again 
stranger things have happened it's just not a great recipe for success uh edwards has won eight in a row well you know the, the no contest in between there so he's he's hasn't had a loss in nine fights going back to that 2015 decision loss to kamaru usman obviously before he was champion um I, uh, look no, it goes without saying if, if nate diaz pulls this off i mean this could be one of the greatest feel good crowd goes nuts type of like yeah wins in a while like in a while look would this be oddly comparable to tito ortiz surprising ryan bader with that submission tito not beloved on that level but is there a do you compare it in that regard i mean we're we're or is it more of like sort of i mean those guys those guys were both actual 205ers nate is just moonlighting in this weight class um but I will say, yeah, there's something to that. It would be I, I, here's the thing though, Nate Diaz fans, I think, fully expect him to win or let a bare minimum make this hugely competitive, and it might actually be competitive in the end. Again, it, it, completely overlooking Nate Diaz's chances is quite foolish. On the other hand, I, I just you know I think some of the lessons from that BMF fight are some of the things that other guys are going to be able to take advantage of. And if there's anyone who can do that, it's Leon, Leon Edwards. But, you know, we'll have to see. How does his cardio hold up? In the past, that's been great. But he had the COVID thing. Yeah, he, by the way, for folks who don't remember, he actually had a bad bout with COVID. So to what extent does that play a role? We'll see. We'll see how things look. But Nate cannot sit back in this fight. you got to put the heat on Leon Edwards and pick your tactics how you want to do it. But he needs to be under pressure. How do you make a careful guy... Uh, who doesn't make mistakes, make mistakes. you got to put him in a situation where his decision-making is a lot more labored, and that doesn't come without pressure. Luke Edwards has endured a lot of uh, criticism, not always justified, you know, calling out of his lack of supposed marketability. He's had an extreme amount of bad luck. As we stand right now, he's 29 years old. Um, I mean, he beat RDA, you know. He beats Cerrone, Gunnar Nelson. I mean, he's got some good wins there, even though we we always sort of criticize him to a degree. Is he better than we than we know, than we realize, than we've seen because of some of that bad luck? Do you get that feeling? Leon Edwards? Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. I, I yeah. Um, he's better than his reputation or a, a casual fan awareness is. I don't know that I'm underrating him. I mean, I certainly could be. I guess we'll see. I, I expect him to win on Saturday. But uh, do I think that he's got what it takes to beat Kamaru Usman? No, I, I don't. I don't think that he has that. I think Kamaru is better than all the other welterweights. So when you say underrated, it's really important to clarify underrated according to who. He's probably underrated according to Diaz fans. The casual fan barely has any understanding of what they're dealing with here. And there might be some skeptics based on his inactivity or something like that. Fine. But I think most people who are familiar with his run up to this point would tell you this is a very talented guy this is a dangerous opponent in terms of winning and losing and if you're not really out there to win uh trust me he is so yeah. he's a very very dogged competitor and even though he had a lot of bad luck and had a weight and the chamaya fight fell apart this is a much better circumstance for leon edwards as a sizable favorite against a huge name excuse me man this seltzer is causing the the burps look no one wants to hear burps on a friday right uh, if you're uh, Leon, you couldn't ask for a better opportunity Jesus. to uh, amend 
your resume and maybe get, you know, and your reputation and maybe get a title shot uh, from this victory. Luke, to carry on down this card, the very, very good pay-per-view card. Shout out to the UFC for this one. Welterweight bout that I got my eyes on very closely. Damian Maya, Bilal Muhammad, Muhammad fresh off the no contest eye poke, but he's put together a nice win streak. Not against elite competition, Luke. We were hoping his fight against Leon Edwards was going to be the one that was going to tell us is Muhammad for real? Has he evolved and and added those layers to his game where he's not just a high volume tough out? This is a fun style matchup, and I think before we count out the forty three year old Maya. He, like you said on Wednesday, he does only lose to the super elite. Before that knockout loss to Gilbert Burns, he had won three in a row and had looked pretty damn good. Uh, how competitive do you expect this one to be? Did you say Damian Maya was 34? No, I said 43, Luke. 43, yeah, he's 43. Yeah. Um, you know, remember what you had indicated it. So Bilal Muhammad fought Leon Edwards. There was the eye poke immediately. And then there was a question of, should they run this one back? And they ultimately didn't. They put Leon Edwards with Nate Diaz, and now they have Bilal Muhammad with Demi and Maya. But I'm glad to see that Bilal Muhammad, A, as you indicated, on a great main card, for sure. And two, still in a fight of pretty big significance. Bilal Muhammad, I, I, I think, has shown an incredible amount of promise and development. And the win over Diego Lima and Lyman Good, they've, they've been good, but like, there's not been that turn the corner, go from interesting kind of fighter, maybe ranked, to really beating someone who was established. In this case, a guy who fought for the UFC title not too, too long ago, right? So can he get over that hump? Honestly, dude, I have no... I don't know. I don't I don't know. I don't know because Demi and Meyer, remember, he's not going to double leg you. He's going to baseball slide into you and underhook sweep you uh, uh, or fight using underhook series to get all different kinds of reversals and he'll go to the back and then from the back he's got all kinds of tricks it's like I've just never seen Bilal Muhammad deal with something like that to your point Demi and Maya is that interesting demarcation line where if you can beat that guy for sure you're elite and if you cannot maybe you could be obviously uh, Jorge's on that um on that space where he lost but he's obviously still pretty elite so we're gonna see, dude. Like again, this is what this is what I love about the fight game as a broader perspective. And I, I would like to hear your perspective on this too, BC. Which is that, dude. There's a lot of times we go into these fights and people ask us for certainty. Sometimes I just don't know. We understand the MMA universe and how it works one way, and then the fights are over, and you have to rethink about everything because upsets happen, perspectives you never imagined take place, wins, and lo- it rewrites everything. This is one of those cases where. I feel like a lot of rules about how we understand guys and how good they are, they're going to be rewritten on Saturday night. Yeah, this night. is very good matchmaking, and the odds reflect that. Minus 227 is Muhammad as the favorite at age 32, plus 175 for Maya. And, Luke, I think if you're Demi and Maya, you look at this as, like, this is a guy I can win to what you said. You know, Muhammad looked really good in turning things around, but there's no killers on that resume, unfortunately, up to this point that he's beaten uh, Luke, what, how would you speak to Muhammad's ground game if Maya is successful at setting, you know, the foundation for 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 the finishes that he's known for doing? Uh, I don't think. I mean, listen, Jacare just got his arm broken, right? I didn't necessarily see that coming, but Jacare in his prime, I don't think that would have happened. I think that's probably fair to say. You know, I mean, he may have lost about or something, but he probably would not have gotten submitted that way. Um, Demi and Maya is better enough than anyone else in the UFC that in his prime, Demi and Maya, you're asking about his ground game. You could plug in anyone else's name. It wouldn't ma- it wouldn't make a difference. Is that guy still there? Probably not. So, like, how much of a decline is there where, like, 
you know, game for game, peak for peak, Demi and Maya's a lot better. And here's the other part about it. It's like Bilal Muhammad, usually when he fights, seeks contact, physical contact, where he's firing an underhook, pressing you against the fence, right? He's looking to always be in close quarters, usually. Dude, that's exactly what Demi and Maya wants. Now you say, oh, that's what Colby and, and Kamara were able, that's what they want, but they were able to like do you know, stuff to take down and then box. Okay, can Bilal Muhammad follow that particular game plan? Don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Don't know. Yeah. We're going to have to see because I just feel like if you wrap up with Demian, you can do the Jorge Masvidal thing where you can survive. Fine. And Matt Brown survived for a while, but eventually he didn't. I, but they both lost. So, like... I don't like that way of fighting Demian, even at age 43. Because whatever else you want to say about Demian Maya, old, maybe, you know, lopsided skill set, maybe. Dude, he's a professional. He's going to make weight and he's going to give it everything he's got. And with someone that skilled, even at 43, not to be fucked with. Give me some fun chess because, uh, you know, Maya can't stand and trade with him. I just got a cringe flashback to him and Askren trading punches. But, you know, Muhammad's going to have to put it on him and hurt him, really, to to avoid, you know, making a mistake and opening up opportunities to lose that one. So there's a nice referendum on where Bilal Muhammad is. Good piece of matchmaking. Luke, you had mentioned on Wednesday that this Paul Craig, Jamal Hill, light heavyweight tilt, which is very close in the odds, has your attention. Is this Paul Craig's breakthrough moment, potentially? Uh, no. I think he would have to beat somebody else a little higher up the ladder, which isn't to say that this guy's not a, a Jamal Hill's not a quality opponent. He's a quality opponent, but you're, I'm just telling you where he's at Paul Craig in his journey. And in his journey, this is a important step to take, but this is not a deciding factor for anything other than a better opportunity. Should he win? It, it, he's got a while to go. Okay. Fresh off of uh amending the wrong from that draw against Shogun Hua, but he hasn't lost in four fights. Paul has, uh, Paul Craig, excuse me, has looked good. Uh, fun fighter to watch, but uh, the 30-year-old Jamal Hill, Luke, has never lost and is fresh off that stoppage win in the second round uh, in December against OSP. So good-looking tilt there. Uh, Luke, I, wa- I was going to ask you what else has got your fancy on the undercard, but good Lord, this prelim main event, lightweights, bangers, Drew Dober, Brad Riddell, uh, high pace, high theater, Luke, who do you think has the edge in this one? Um, I I tend to think real highly of of Brad Riddell. Um, of the two, he's definitely the more established kickboxer. But Drew Dober, okay, you know, uh, maybe had a recent hiccup, but in general, in general, has showed tremendous improvement. By the way, we've been doing a preview for this card for forty minutes, um, so I'll just say. I think Brad Riddell should be favored to win, but I think this is close enough where it's it's pretty close to coin flip territory. It really me. is. Slightly in Riddell. Slightly. Plus 120 on Riddell, who we haven't seen lose in the UFC. Minus 149 on Dober coming off of a defeat. But Luke, you know, mm. this is a great-ass card. It kind of deserves it, and maybe our fans deserve it, Luke. Maybe our fans deserve 40 minutes of UFC preview, all right? Maybe. Okay. You know, BC's yeah. very efficient. I wish you would have told me that ahead of time. BC's very efficient on Fridays, Luke. Okay, I like, but I like to also. Well, let's let's efficiently get let's efficiently get to other topics. Uh, all right, just just note here that that this guy was the one <laughs> keeping us on. I was ready to talk JoJo Calderwood and Lauren Murphy, but you're like, sorry, BC, we got to we got to move yeah, on. Yeah. All right, Luke. T- it's an, all those are important fights, but we also have Bellator, and we also have to get to Clarissa Shields and then other shit. All right, so I don't want to break your heart any more than I've already done, Luke. So let's transition tonight, Bellator two sixty. <laughs> 
I believe it is a 9 p.m. Eastern start time on Showtime. Luke, you can correct me if I'm wrong there, but it's from the Fight Sphere at the Mohegan Sun. A great welterweight title tilt. Douglas Lima fresh off the loss, moving up to middleweight and attempting to take Gegard Mousasi's title. He's back against 25-0 Yaroslav Amosov. All everyone in these parts knows how high you are, Luke, on Amosov. Fresh off that thriller win against Logan Storley. Uh, this is a very, very good matchup. What will be the difference in 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 either Lima getting back on track or Amosov starting a new reign at 170? It's amazing to watch this because, dude, the parallels between this and the Adesanya and Vittori fight are, I think, a little bit more there than maybe we have discussed. Let me set this up for you. So Douglas Lima, went, of course, went up to fight uh, at 185, uh, Musasi, and then realized he lost, but then realized kind of late that there was a fixable problem. So that fight was different than, than Adesanya's with Blahovich in the sense of its complexion, but he goes up a weight class and loses. Here he comes back, and one of the reasons why he lost that fight was just he just didn't step on the gas enough. It turned out like when he let his hands go and listened to his corner and began to really put in some activity, he had a lot of success in that fight. So why do I bring it up? Amosov is a guy who I don't think he's quite as refined as a striker and a, as good of a boxer as Douglas Lima. Maybe not even as good of a kickboxer, but I'll tell you what he does have. Number one, an undefeated record. Two, I actually think he's a better wrestler than Douglas Lima. But yeah, I'll leave it at that. Three, this is the detail. He didn't have enough activity in his fight against Musasi. Well, what does Amosov excel in? Dude, he's a volume guy. He just attacks constantly. He attacks from every position. He tries to define the, the terms of the fight. A lot of it, by the way, in wrestling, in close quarters, a lot of body lock takedowns, you know, uh, a wrestling along the fence line, that kind of a thing. Dude, he gets after it. You know, you're going, you just lost a fight up a weight class because you did not get after it. Now you're going to get against a guy better in your weight class who does exactly that kind of thing. The parallels between that and Adesanya uh, and Vittori are pretty, are pretty interesting, except that obviously Adesanya and Vittori have locked horns before. So let me tell you something, folks. Douglas Lima is a champion by no accident. He is a very good fighter. He is extremely experienced. He is dialed in. He may have had a rough weight cut, BC. You weren't on the weigh-ins yesterday. Even Rashad brought up that like the, like the weight cut was getting to him, but he made the weight like a professional that he is. Here's the deal. If he had it all a rough weight cut and Amosov is it all locked in and with all of that uh, activity that he gets after, I'm telling you, it is not in any way inconceivable that you have a brand new Bellator wow. welterweight champion tonight. This might be Douglas Lima's toughest test since he became champion at 170 For pounds. anyone hearing that who, you know, maybe isn't following the journey of Bellator up to this point as closely and doesn't know who Amosov is, uh, the odds makers of William Hill have it a minus 110 pick em for both fighters here. That's saying a lot given exactly. given that Lima is kind of no longer the best kept secret in MMA, right? Like we he's known worldwide, you know, from winning the the Bellator Grand Prix and, you know, avenging the loss uh, to Rory there. I mean, th this guy is an absolute stud. Yes, he's got questions to answer coming off of the loss, but Luke, it's like okay, his great uh, it's not even a deficiency. I would I would agree with you that Amosov's the better wrestler here, but Lima's not deficient in that category here. So across the board, nope. you know, you still feel like he should win this, but you got the weight cut, you got the questions to answer, and you just don't go 25-0 and 0 in professional MMA. You know, it's why we we put so much praise on Habib and, and 
like you just don't do it, Luke. There's too many ways to lose. This is insanely impressive. What? But this is the biggest challenge by far for Amosov. So I want to see if he can control the fight on the ground, but I want to see a finisher's mentality in there. I want to see him go in there and try to take the title from Lima. It's hard to do that, though. I mean, dude, not that. even Musasi, not even Musasi could put him away. Dude, Douglas Lima's. If you, I mean, you know, that's a hard guy to stop. I don't care on the ground, on the feet. Maybe Douglas Lima will win. Maybe he will lose. But getting stopped, I mean, even I don't think Amosov can do that. Quite candidly, I think he can win. I don't think he can stop Douglas Lima. And if he does that, holy shit, that would be. That would be beyond impressive. That would be truly remarkable. So you're asking for a high bar of achievement. Well, look, I don't, I don't know if you can just straight up beat a guy like Lima with wrestling control. I mean, Lima's, you know, jujitsu game's fantastic, Luke. You know, he's not going to be dominated with ease in any it circumstance. Is. So we're going to need to see. Well, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. He lost the first McDonald fight to that. He lost parts of the Musasi fight to that. He lost the Askren fight to that. That's not true at all. Okay, there was a different version of himself back in the Askren and the early Koreshkov fight, no question about it, okay? Um, That's did fine. he lose the fifth round against uh, against Rory and, you know, a regrettable loss but due to that? Yes, but he avenged that. He seems to be a completely evolved fighter. I'm just saying the Amosov we saw against Storley, who was so good and he won such a close and great fight, he's going to need to have to be even better than that, Luke, to beat Douglas Lima. So I'm good. it's going to be interesting to see how he does that. And uh, this is a great fight. I mean, look, I, you know, we could shill, but I will shill. Get your 30-day free trial if you're not, if you don't have the Showtime thing. This is this is the fight worth watching. A very important one as we roll forward. Luke, I love this 175 catchweight bout. Basically, a welterweight bout here. Paul Daly in the co-main event against Jason Jackson, who's always fun, exciting. Uh, is this a sneaky number one contender fight? The way you look at it, with Paul Daly clearly in his twilight, but still putting out bangers. Dude, I'm telling you, people are sleeping on this whole story, not just about this fight. Paul Daly, 43-17-2. I mean, you know, an absolute Iron Man record against Jason Jackson, 14-4. and um, And, you know, the last four wins are maybe the best of his career, and he's at all four in a row. You know, just to total maturation happening right before our eyes. Amazing to watch. But I don't want to lose sight of this, BC. I've been bringing it up before. When they made Matt Hughes versus Hoist Gracie, they did not make that fight at 170 pounds. They made it at 175. And I was very curious to see what the differences would be when they weighed in. And Matt Hughes looked noticeably more muscular when he fought and uh, weighed in and beat the fucking brakes off of Hoist Gracie, in part because of a skill differential, but also that extra five pounds looked like it did him a world of good. We don't talk about this enough. Dude, I love. I know it's not a division, and I know it's nothing permanent, but they've been doing it almost every card at this point. This 175 division, whatever it is, for in this case, Daly and Jackson, is awesome. They look bigger. They It's 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 welterweights with a little bit extra on there, a little bit of oomph. Um, and Jason Jackson is as live a dog. I, I think he's the underdog. Uh, maybe not, but... If, if you're sleeping on him because you don't know his name and you're not familiar with him, this guy, you know, beating Neiman Gracie was very difficult for him, but he found a way to do it and on the feet and absolutely no fear. He is looking for opportunities like this against established names, particularly ones who aren't going to try and maybe, maybe Daly will wrestle a little bit, but usually will try to strike at least somewhat. That's exactly what he wants. And uh, he's been waiting for his big breakout moment. Maybe this will be that. 
Yeah, minus 278 is Jackson, the favorite at William Hill. Plus 220 is Paul Daly. Semtex always going to have that one-punch chance, and there's going to be a banger. Four wins in a row for Jason Jackson, the ass-kicking machine. And, Luke, those wins have come over Naaman Gracie, Benson Henderson, and Jordan Mean. I mean, this guy's putting some things together here. Uh, is, does he work down there with Rashad at Hard Knocks? Is that, is that a true fact? That's, that's Rashad's boy, right? Am I, am I alone in the show? Am I, am I don't. I you say it show? again. Uh, Skype is acting... or uh, not Skype, but uh, what you call it? You're. Con- We're back. We're back. Yes, at I see. It. Yeah, yeah. I that's Rash- Jason Jackson is Rashad's guy down at Hard Knocks. Talks him up all the time. Correct. That's right. Exactly. Okay. Him. Yep. Very good fight, Luke. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, could 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 we get Paul Daly back in an MVP rematch? Could we get uh, Paul Daly into a title shot if he keeps winning? Uh, he's playing with house money here, just having fun. Uh, he gets hurt, but he bangs. This is going to be a good one here, Luke. Uh, also, to close quickly, Aaron Pico back. And, and, Luke, he's turned things around. He's on a nice run of knockouts. We know what Pico can do, and he's doing it of late. What do you know about Aiden Lee and his potential at featherweight here to show some resistance? Aiden Lee is a guy out of Cage Warriors. Um, he is lanky for the weight class. He is southpaw. And definitely likes to use the range that he has with it. I'm not sure how much this, the the uh, reach differential will be. I suspect it will be in, in the favor of Aiden Lee. So this is just another sort of challenge for Pico to overcome. It just shows you how much he was rushed. That here is Pico's, what what fight are we talking about for Aaron Pico? He is 7-3. and three. So this would be Pico's 11th fight. And now we're just getting to a territory where he's fighting a sort of international class guy who's southpaw. I mean, think about that for a second. That's an important step to cross. But if you're doing it in your 11th fight, why were we giving you guys that we were giving you one or two or three or four fights in? It made no sense. So he's coming along. He looks great. And it's incremental uh, challenges each time he goes out there. But, you know, to see the success he's having now in this way is heartening. It's just a reminder of how badly the matchmaking went for him early on. So... Glad they righted the ship well, here a little bit. Look, the move, obviously, this is about, what, his second or third fight into the move to Jackson Wink. He's moved his life to New Mexico. He's much... Third or fourth. Fourth fight. He's much happier. His horse, Luke, very happy, as we know, uh, many times over. But, uh, oh, man. you know... Wouldn't you be if you had a if you had that sitting in your dungarees? It, <laughs> wow. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. <laughs> or do I, Luke? Or do I already carry that BDE? That's a question no, for you. No, you definitely You definitely. But don't. to close here, look, I've talked to people who are close to Pico. His dad was very aggressive in, in pushing him early on and, and, you know, too quickly in the wrong situations. So much damn talent, but it seems to be where he's in a much better place mentally. And, Luke, that's going to free up, you know, how they develop him and, and the fighter he's becoming. I mean, how much longer, though, Luke, before we start talking about him as a title contender? Because there's no shortage of big-name featherweights in the Bellator banner. They're, they're doing the damn 16-man tournament. Yeah, I think honestly, so if if let's let's say he wins tonight, right? Which we expect him to win, let's say he wins. So that means his last wins would be Daniel Carey. This is since the Adam Borch and, and Henry Corrales losses. Daniel Carey, he won. Solo Hatley, he won. John DeJesus, he won. Aiden Lee, he won. Okay, those are four wins. And he won with a left hook, a rear naked choke, some ground and pound. We'll see what happens tonight. After this, it's time to start stepping up a little bit. That doesn't mean you jump right to the front of the queue. That's not what I'm saying. But I think after 11, 12 fights, 
let's start building a little bit towards something rather than just getting the experience that we need um, to you know build your game around and, and bring things along. It's at some point these wins. I want folks to understand these are not names you need to remember. That's not the important part. This is about getting him on the right track with his game and his focus and his confidence. But that can only last so long before you have to graduate to the next stage of proving how good you are. Um, so this is redevelopment. This is putting the building blocks in place. But soon it will be time to graduate. It seems like it was a smart move not to enter himself into that 16-man tournament at the time. He needed more rebuilding and refurbishment. But if he can turn Luke over the next year to really be a title contender, like I said, no shortage of big names, fun names. And I think, Luke, you saw that report yesterday from MMA Fighting that the Patricio Pitbull, A.J. McKee, featherweight world grand prix final for the championship for the one million uh looking like july 30th at a site to you know to be determined so uh fun stuff ahead here in this weight class no freaking doubt about it look i can't freaking i cannot wait for that fight look i can't look i'm ready for that fight all right i'm ready okay 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 thank you thank you for sharing my enthusiasm and no selling every inch of me luke um, let's re- can we talk about Clarissa Shields? Yeah, after yeah we an can, hour, Luke. Okay, uh, what do you got? You got a doctor's appointment again? What do you, you got? A wedding to go to? I mean, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I mean, I, we probably should have led with Clarissa. You know, but I'm, so, okay. I'm sorry for for now. putting forth a, a fun, you know, and varietal show. Uh, but here's the variety of this one: Thursday night PFL. This is a big story. You are right, Luke. Maybe we should have Clarissa Shields, the unbeaten multi-division champion boxer who calls herself the quote, the greatest woman of all time, had a successful mixed martial arts debut in the main event there on ESPN, uh, taking a third-round TKO over Brittany Elkin, who was 3-6 and six coming in, but there was no shortage, Luke, of fireworks, of, you know, not despair, but certainly some uh, rough going in the first two rounds here. Shields, in the end, though, gets a emphatic win, I mean, I don't want to go any further, Luke, before I throw it to you for your reaction than to just give her a damn shout-out. This is daring to be great shit. Yeah. This is not. She didn't fight a world beater, but she's an active champion, arguably best pound-for-pound pound in her own sport, and she's going out of her way seven months into training, making the leap, and main eventing a, a you know fairly large card here. What did you take away from Clarissa Shields' debut? I already had a lot of respect for Clarissa Shields. I have even more, honestly. I saw some online chatter, and I don't think that it's wrong, being like, listen, if male boxers saw that they could make more fighting in MMA, you'd see more of them cross over. Like, Clarissa Shields wouldn't be this sort of anomaly where you have, like, you know, an in-their-prime championship-level boxer trying MMA, right? If the, if the, if the economics were reversed... Um, you might see more boxers do that. And I think that's probably true. There probably is something to be said for the fact that there would be some people who on that side of the aisle take the Pepsi challenge when they don't need to now because they can just make more money doing boxing. Okay, fine. Still, Clarissa has to make this walk. At the end of the day, if you even if you want to argue the dudes would do it if the economics were reversed, at the end of the day, she's the only one out there making that walk. She has to go out there in a sport that she doesn't even really, has never really trained it until recently, and she has to go there and have main events on national TV just to get the respect that she wants, just to get the money that her peers make. It's kind of fucked up, to be honest with you, that it's that way. But I will say this, man. Whatever else you want to say about what the counterfactuals might be, she's the only one out there putting it actually physically on the line. I have so much respect for what she was able to do last night. And I'm going to call last night what it was. That was a success. That was a big, 
big success. It was a success for PFL, which, by the way, this is the best season they've had. I've seen them all to varying degrees, uh, but this is by far their most interesting one. The refresh of the brand really appears to have paid major dividends. And listen, she struggled mightily, but I got to tell you, folks, I've been to a lot, a lot of regional MMA. I have seen pro debuts. I don't think I've ever seen a pro debut against someone where zero and zero versus, you know, someone who had nine fights. Granted, Shields is a very unusual person making a pro MMA debut because of her background. Okay, but still, folks, if you've never trained, this is not a hard thing to test me on. If you are a white belt, if you've never trained, or if you've trained just a little bit, a few months or something like that, go into any jiu-jitsu gym and find a brown belt. They're going to wear your fucking ass out bad. You're going to have a real bad day, gi or no gi. And so she had to go up against a brown belt, who, yes, is not the world's best fighter at three and now seven, but three and six before. That is a very, very big ask for a pro debut. And there can be no denying about it, BC. She has a ton of work to do on the ground. But let me tell you what I saw in her a little bit. I saw the spirit of a champion in there, a little bit of Derek Lewis in her to just be patient. Folks, I'm telling you, if you've never had someone better than you mounted on top, it is it can be a panicky situation, especially if they're dropping punches on you. She was breathing through her nose the entire time. She never lost composure. She never lost belief in herself. She had intuitive ground and pound where she would hold the head with one and then pound with the other, and she would sort of like find ways to make it all work. The only thing limiting her, BC, at this point, how good can she be? I don't know. The only thing that gives me a little bit of um, worry, and I wonder how you feel about this. She still wants to maintain her boxing career. Yeah. Listen, I have so much respect for her, but if she's going to maintain her boxing career, I think everyone should have very managed expectations about what she can do in MMA. But if she wants to put all her focus on MMA... I got to tell you, for all the hiccups last night, BC, I'm giving that two thumbs up. I was very impressed by Clarissa Shields. I, I agree with you on that. I mean, we didn't learn that she's going to fight uh, Kayla Harrison in four fights, you know, and win a championship. God, it was her debut. And no, we didn't learn that she's got some incredible overnight ground game or that, you know, a different fighter than Brittany Elkin who had that long and full mount over two rounds wouldn't have been able to do something bad to her. But, but let's... Good God, let's give her her flowers. She got out of an arm bar. She never panicked. The poise that you mentioned to not blow her gas tank out of despair and fear and, and everything that comes with that, to be able to have the mental focus to go for that finish in round three, she showed a lot. Luke, I know that there's a lot of, there's there's been a growing sort of, you know, we, she's a hero in a lot of ways. She's the face of women's boxing. She's a two-time Olympic gold medalist. But even in the boxing realm of fans and journalists, some people have turned on her because she's so brash. She says what she feels. I've always looked at that as a positive. But she's been through some shit in her life, and she's just stronger for it. And it was on display in this fight. She wants this. She's doing it the right way, training with the right people, Agreed. going through the hell that you have to go through. I mean, I watched every interview she did afterwards. She knew this was going to be potentially bad, or, or if she was going to win – She'd have to go through hell to get there, which she kind of did. Or, you know, she could have had a nice flurry in round three and not finished her and still lost a wide decision. All of that was in play, yet she found a way to pull it out. Let's talk about what she's got going for her, Luke. You know, great athlete, but she's physically very strong. She really put in the work training-wise to rebuild her body. You know, you saw her shoulders and her arms. You also saw that 
you don't see that type of speed and accuracy from her hands in women's MMA. You just don't. I mean, the right crosses that she was setting up, the ability to get off punches, that is just a plus level right there. And from an entertainment factor, look, I got early Brock Lesnar vibes watching this, like Lesnar versus Mir 1, where it's like, okay, Brock's got a giant hole in some key areas but that one thing that he's really damn good at, it's going to be hard for other people to deal with that. That that brings a, you know, a, almost an old school fun of, of specialist against specialist in that regard. I think she's got the intangibles locked up. The toughness, the willingness to learn doesn't mean she's going to go undefeated by any means. I mean, I mean, look, she can get tapped out tomorrow by somebody with, you know, eight pro fights for all we know or ten pro fights or whatever. But from the standpoint of respect, um, trying to do what she's tried to do since day one. She called herself the quote in boxing from like her second pro fight, Luke. And people were like, what are you talking about? Yet even though women's boxing, the, the biggest drawback is there's not a deep pool of talent. It's why every time uh, Shields fights, there's seemingly all these extra belts at stake, vacant titles. She's already become an undisputed champion in two divisions. Some of that, of course, is the lack of competition. But what she has established in her short boxing career is she's willing to manipulate her body and go up and down in crazy weight changes to seek greatness. Her doing this, maybe it's financially you know, fueled. She's also trying to seek greatness. Let's give her the respect that she went out there and pulled this off and that she's willing to take whatever comes from this. You know, The more she steps up, the harder it's going to get. But considering how young she is, I get what you're saying about if you're going to split time and distract yourself and it, it could be counterintuitive, yes. But they could make some fun fights that people have to see under PFL with her. And she may end up finding a way to win them just like she did here. I think she's going to get better each fight in a significant um, you know, increase. Will she ever be able to clear up the idea that if you look at what she doesn't do well in MMA and you attack that, that you can beat her? You know, the jury's still out. It may be always a weakness. And, and even for Brock Lesnar, to some degree, there was certain intangible weaknesses he had. Like taking a punch to the face, Luke, right? Like there were certain things that Brock Lesnar, who went all the way to win a UFC championship, never really rounded out and figured out. But uh, strong opening statement at the very least, a monster opening statement. Um, PFL, yes, I I'm watching you. I'm seeing what you're doing. Your announced team's great. Yeah. Uh, the production and presentation is really good. It's a big win, all things considered, Luke. Yeah, it's a huge win. I mean, a couple of responses to that. For folks who want to know what it was like when Brock Lesnar made his debut against Amir, because he had fought Minsu Kim before, but like against Amir. Remember when you like you're watching Clarissa on the ground, the first time she gets mounted, you're like, oof, okay, like she really is a neophyte on the ground. Lesnar was the opposite of that. There's a moment where he actually is on top of Mir, and if you've never done it, there's a drill we used to do. You put your hands behind your back, and you put the center of your chest on a medicine ball, and then you walk your feet around the ball. It enables you to pin someone beneath you with your body weight as you learn to move around them. And there's a moment where he does that to Frank Mir and moves around him, but only in the way that an advanced wrestler might move. And you were like, whoa, he can move like them. So, like, you know... You got to understand, like, it just shows you why wrestling and judo might be a bit of a better base for MMA because it gives you so much command of these really difficult spaces that are to learn and you can sort of build on some of the other aspects. And about Kayla Harrison, dude, that was never realistic. Kayla Harrison, for folks who don't realize this, she is the most decorated judoka in American history. There's no one even close. Like uh, Jimmy Pedro, maybe Travis Stevens, and they just have silvers and bronzes. Like she's got two golds. There's no one even close to that. And I've seen her in person. She is a fucking specimen, man. Like, 
you know, <laughs> it's just not realistic to put that kind of expectation on Clarissa, and it never and it never did. But that same feeling I got when I saw Brock being like, "Whoa, he can do some things." That patience you pointed out, the composure, the fight she showed as soon as she got out of that arm bar, whatever was let go, whatever happened there, the look on her face to just immediately attack. And maybe that's not the most tactical thing to do, but she just has a competitor in her and a fire in her that as, a, as somebody who watched, you just can't, you can't have anything but respect for. BC, and also I'll say this, man. That might be her most entertaining fight, boxing or MMA. Honestly, in terms of like drama... Like, Clarissa Shields' fight have drama in the sense of, like, how fast can she, how fast can the great white shark eat the chum, you know? But in this case, she had to fight out of some shit, and it was thrilling. It's kind of, it's kind of proof of concept that, I, I don't know, I think women's MMA is a lot more interesting than women's boxing. I mean, it sucks that, that, like you opened with, that she has to go in this direction to get the attention and pay that she feels she deserves. On the men's MMA side, it's, we talk about how people have to go to boxing and sell their souls for that same, you know, payday that they're seeking but at least, you know, she's showing that she can compete. And by the way, this weekend also, Amanda Serrano, who's a, you know, seven-division boxing world champion, one of the pound-for-pound best in the world. She's fought with Combate Americas before. She's headlining a card. I think it's Icon MMA, like, you know, lower regional level. But, you know, it's happening, Luke, you know. It, it, but Shields at least seems equipped to do some things. So uh, mark it on your calendar. When they announce when her comeback is, you're going to want to see that again. So, uh well done there all the way around. Do you have anything else to say about PFL? I don't know if we have time for Clay Collard and all those other guys. Yeah, I mean, the card itself was great. Brendan Lochnan, Lochnane's win was tremendous. Uh, Travis Diamond, the guy he fought, or whatever his name was, was just an absolute insane uh, show of toughness. The, my only real criticism of what PFL is doing is, dude, they're mostly doing everything right. Like, I'm really enjoying watching their fights this season, which I can't necessarily say before. There's just a real energy that they've brought to the broadcast. But these fucking made-up numbers, <laughs> I mean, can we get that shit off the screen? This is the fighter performance rating. Dude, nobody cares. It's a meaningless number. It doesn't tell us a fucking thing. I don't care if a, if a hammer fist was seven miles an hour. Doesn't do me any good. Please get that shit off the screen. Well, it not is so distracting. Stats, it is so awful. Not all stats really tell you anything. I think at one point, Shields was like three for three in leg strikes, but that was because she had her back on the ground and she was using her legs to, like, push her opponent off. You know what I mean? Well, we're counting those as... as as you know, it's just yeah. Not, it's sort of like when PBC on Fox has the punches landed counter constantly on the screen. Again, CompuBox punch stats, all that. Like they can tell you part of the fight story, but can't tell you the the whole thing. And they're a bit you know manipulative right. in that regard. All right, Luke, let's keep it going right. here. Uh, UFC news. Dana White was on with our friends down there in Submission Radio down under Casper and Dennis, and he revealed Luke that the Alexander Volkanovsky Brian Ortega featherweight title bout, which we were supposed to see earlier this year until the champ had a bout with, uh, not COVID himself, wasn't it somebody on his team, and they had to delay that and he had to go back home? I don't really remember the details. Either way... Volkanovski? Yeah. Did he have... No, Volkanovski? No, 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 no. This, actually, this is actually important. Volkanovski not only got COVID, he had a he had a horrible bout with it. Alright, trying to keep up with who had what and all that sometimes gets me behind here, Luke, but either way, it looks like September 4th, UFC 266 at a site to be determined is the targeted date for these two current Ultimate Fighter coaches to square off in what, you know, on paper is a sensational fight. Luke, have you watched even a droplet of the tough season so far to be able to report to me what the chemistry has been like between these two as opposing coaches? I have seen the thumbnails when I go to watch something else on ESPN+. Plus. All right. All right. 
That's that's about as much as I've seen too, Luke. But uh, very excited for this bout, Luke. I saw. Um, speaking of this division, I saw Zabit Magomed Sharapov put out an Instagram post yesterday, which said he was supposed to have surgery yesterday and it got delayed and all this stuff. So the division is, it's packed at the top, but there's a bit of upheaval at the moment. We don't know if Zabit's coming back. This fight got pushed off because of COVID, whatever. But uh, how jazzed are you? to finally get some clarity as to who's the man here. Because while Volkanovski has been incredible, uh, two close fights with Max, especially that second one that you watched a world record amount of times, he still kind of has to prove how great he is, right? Um, No, not to me. Because remember, he beat Jose Aldo pretty cleanly before that. Folks, don't talk about that. You beat Jose Aldo once and then Max twice, however close those might have been. You're a pretty good fighter. Uh... Maybe for other, I think what you're talking about is, you know, finally telling the fans through a performance, I'm the man here. You know, he hasn't really put enough distance between himself and Max. In fact, many think Max has the one that has the distance on him. So there is still controversy about that. But then Ortega comes through, he wipes the floor with the Korean zombie, and now you've got this new interesting figure. I just, for me, the only way I'm looking at this is, you know, may the best man win. I tend to think uh, Volkanovski's that guy, but Ortega certainly is capable of a lot of surprise and, and has won late in so many fights, you can't count him out. Um, but I just want to get the thing moving again. Bantamweight's got it worse where you know we're still waiting on the Aljo and Yon thing, and then all you still got you got you got Sanhagen, you got uh, Dillashaw out there, and who, no, it, there's a big there's a big log jam at the top of 135. You're getting something like that with 145, so it's good to get it on the calendar, see how things progress, and begin to think about how we can piece everything together after the fact. And Max Holloway will be taking on Yair Rodriguez in the interim. If he wins that, I cannot wait to see Max against the winner of this fight, Luke, but obviously this one stands alone on its own. Can Brian Ortega, fresh off that clinic against the Korean Zombie and his comeback, uh, shaving off the hair, giving me weird interviews, can he climb the mountain? It's going to be one hell of a matchup to see. Luke, our final preview topic or uh, setup topic here of the week is uh, boxing on Saturday. Don't forget this. Uh, ESPN's going to have a card, Top Rank Boxing, live from Las Vegas. Luke, I got mixed feelings about this because you know how much I love Shakur Stevenson, the two, 2016 you love him. Olympic silver medalist from Newark, New Jersey, named after Tupac, all that great stuff. He's fighting Luke what kind of amounts to his fourth straight Stay busy. Who the hell am I fighting? Almost showcase opportunity. Now, Stevenson, I have included him in that four slash five group of future kings, whatever you want to call them, of guys in and around that 135 division who have next Haney, Ryan Garcia, Teo, Gervonta. You know the group there. Uh, Shakur's just as good as those guys in my eyes and may pound for pound wise long term be better. Luke, he's incredible. I don't know if this is the fight again that's going to show it. We did have a sit down with Shakur Stevenson, or I did in the build-up to this. Manich, we don't have footage of that, right? Manich, what do we got here? Okay, we don't got shit. All right, well, you can check that out on YouTube. But I love Shakur's honesty here, Luke. You know who he wants? He wants a champion in his new division here of 130. This fight against Nakantilla will be for one of them vacant interim-type belts uh, that sets you up for the champion. Jamel Herring has the WBO title. They're good friends. They're both in that extended Terrence Crawford group there, but he's willing to fight him. But who he really wants, Luke, is Oscar Valdez, who we saw earlier this year with that spectacular knockout of Miguel Burchell. He's unbeaten. He's got the WBC belt. Here's to hoping, Luke, that this is the final stop and test in what Stevenson told me himself morning combat was after this fight in vegas 
He wants to drive across town, go to the top rank studio or offices, sit across from Bob Arum and be like, tell me to my face whether Oscar Valdez is going to avoid me or not. Does he want the fight or not? Can we make this fight? Both are under the top rank banner. Valdez mentioned his name after that win over Burchell, but seems to have not backpedaled, but, you know, hasn't been as aggressive. All I know is that Shakur has the goods, Luke. But can we talk about how non-sexy this fight is? I don't mean to shit on it. But Jeremiah... You know, you know what's amazing about Stevenson? Dude, Stevenson's been active during the pandemic and shit. Like, like he's had a few fights since the beginning. And none of them are rem- are memorable. Well, he can't get like, anybody none to fight of them. him. Like, it's... So- he says okay fair enough i'm just telling you I'm not, i mean whoever you want to blame fine i'm just telling you like it's weird that he's been you know trying to be reasonably active and honestly I, i'm not sure i could pick his opponents out of a lineup at this well, point this is one of those situations where nakatilla is 27 and 1 somehow he's ranked at number two by the wbo luke he has never fought outside of his native namibia Namibia is not a boxing yeah. hotbed, Luke, okay? And while Nakatilla no. is a puncher, he's raw and rugged. You have to believe Shakur is going to piece him up. Uh, hopefully, again, this will be the last time. Because, Luke, how fired up would you be for Shakur Stevenson against Oscar Valdez? I mean, that's that's freaking fire, Luke. Dude, that is that would be. Now, we know how boxing is, so we would not actually get that. But if you're asking me if we got that, how happy would I be? I would be extremely they happy. Both... That would be... They're both ESPN guys, both top ranked guys, both undefeated, both, you know, champion or former champion there. So hopefully we build to that. I'm still going to tune in to check out Shakur's game just the same. Maybe you can do the same. I don't really care. But Luke, that's that for your topics of the week. Now we got to transition to a weekly segment we do every Friday, Luke, where, you know, we're not above sometimes straddling the fence and sitting down hard on that cactus and taking that L when it's needed, when it's for real, when you can back it up with proof. So every Friday, morningcombat at gmail.com is the email address where you can tell us, you know, 12 hours shitting into a microphone. Did we get something wrong? Maybe we did. It's time to find out. This one's called Dead Wrong. Seven different levels to devil worshiping, horses, sex, human sacrifices, cannibalism, candles, and exorcism, animals having sex with them, camels, mammals, and rabbits, but I don't get into that. I kick the habit. And you can call me Larry Hoover. All right, Luke, number one here. This is from MC Tim and Mitch. Hi, guys. It's MC here from the UK. I did wrong Luke about three weeks ago about Benil Diriusha's age. All right, MC, you sound like a real prick. Well, Luke, I love you, but I got you again, <laughs> you old bitch. Two times during the Mayweather-Paul week, you said it was 1,000 degrees Kelvin. However, you should have just been saying 1,000 Kelvin. To quote from Wikipedia, unlike the degree Fahrenheit and Celsius, the Kelvin is not referred to or written as a degree. If you Google degrees Kelvin or just Kelvin, you'll find a ton of other articles too. But if you Google that, you're a lonely piece of shit. Um, He also says, love the content from Miami. All right. I mean, yes. Have I forgotten some of the nuances from high school chemistry? I suppose I have. Even Manich ripping this guy. Saying what a nerd. Uh, MC. That's a pretty, I mean, listen, I'm not saying he's wrong. He's probably a thousand percent right. But I'll just say, you know, I was trying to differentiate between Celsius and Fahrenheit and Kelvin, but all right, you know, suck my balls. It's fine. All right. MC also says, love the content from <laughs> Miami. The only disappointment was Brendan Schaub no selling BC on the Schaubisms. I agree with that. Uh, thanks again for all the awesome content. Can't wait to see what else you've got in store for us this year. 
MK all day, every day from the UK. Thank you. All right, moving on. I'd here. like to tell you we have merch in store, but I don't know that. Yeah, we, don't, we don't have shit, okay? If you want merch, go to thickboy.com and get all of Brendan's merch, okay? We ain't got shit no, for you. No, you know what we have, BC? We have, we have gut diseases. That's what we, we have. We do. Well, really more, we're just, more to come in your we're just tip dying. of the week, Luke. Okay, let's keep it going here. This is from <laughs> both Greg and Talal. My boy BC, also known as Vanilla Thunder, was dead wrong at Monday's mailbag episode at the 50-minute mark when he said that UFC 217's co-main event was Cody Garbrandt versus TJ Dillashaw, the rematch, despite it actually only being the first meeting. The second fight didn't take place until 227 in August of 2018. By the way, BC was also dead wrong in the same segment when he said the UFC 217 prelims were not spectacular, despite them being filled with highlight reel knockouts, including OSP's head mm. kick of Corey Anderson and just the second mm. spinning elbow knockout in UFC history. Last one was nitpicky, but I ride or die. That 217 card was so damn hard. Canada loves BC. Hope to see you calling fights at ringside one day. Wow, you will, because that's that's where I'm going. That's where I'm headed, okay? Thank you, those, Canada. Those Canadians, they believe in you, BC. They do, well, because I'm half French-Canadian. That's why they get it, right? Real recognizes real for the most right. part there. Uh, shout out to Bronstetter right. and right. Ronaldo, two of the greatest Canadians of all time. Yeah, I'll take the L. I was wrong. 217 was the first fight, not the second fight. Still probably, Luke, and I was also in the building for 205. 217, probably the best uh, best night of fights I've ever seen in, a, in one building, right? It was pretty fucking good. It was pretty good. Yeah. I can't lie. It was pretty good. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. All right, we got one more from you here. This one's from Adam. Luke stated on the Room Service Diaries episode in Miami that Scott Stapp, lead singer of Creed, is dead. He is not dead, Luke, just his career. Scott Weiland is dead <laughs> from Stone Temple Pilots. Thank you from Adam. Hey, don't G. bring him into this. Uh, first of all, I don't know if I said he was dead. I think I said I thought he was dead because I didn't know. Uh, I did know his career was uh, DOA. But I'll also say this. I saw, uh, did you ever see STP in concert? No. BC? I wish I did. I did not. So this is a true story. So there used to be this. Bat we grew up, BC, in the era, true or false, we grew up in the era when, you know, uh, it was obviously if you were on TV, you were famous. But you could have a big career in local radio. Like if you were the big DJ. Yes in Atlanta or Chicago or D.C. or Miami, like you could make a shitload of money that way and people all knew who you were. It was like a big deal. That's less the case these days. But back then there was a famous radio station in Washington, D.C. called uh, WHFS. And every year they had HF Festival and they would have huge bands. So in 2000 they had Deftones, Cypress Hill, Slipknot, but the two big ones were uh, Stone Temple Pilots and Rage Against the Machine. There was a two-hour gap between the headlining acts, so for Stone Temple Pilots to come out when they were supposed to, and Scott Weiland came out, and it was fucking raining and everything, and Scott Weiland came out, and this was at FedEx Field in 2000, so the, it was like brand new at the time. And he comes out, he goes, yeah, I would have been out two hours earlier, but I couldn't find my rubber boots, but I found them, so let's get it going. And then they did, they did a killer set, but we had to wait two hours in the fucking rain because he couldn't find his rubber boots. So That's I was great. pretty pissed about That's that. That's great. Rubber boots probably code for heroin, unfortunately, Luke. But um, Yeah, probably. All right. Probably. I remember, when, remember when Scott Stapp got so drunk that he uh, got his shit kicked out of him by 311 in the hotel lobby that time, Luke? That's real? That is. That was a real story. Yeah, I'm a monster 311 fan, though. You too, right? You, you respect the game, right? Uh, Omaha styley, uh, 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 Dude, they're still but, 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 torn. But, 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 they're still good. I, I would go to a 311 concert with you, Luke. Would you? 
Dude, 311 has, 311 was like, you know how you can have like a little fiefdom where you don't have to have too many fans, but you can have enough of them where like through a Patreon account, you can just support yourself. They've got enough fans in like that Patreon style kind of attachment where they can just tour forever and make some cash, you know? Do you think that um, in finding out the exact color of her energy that uh, Nick Hexum uh, had relations with Amber? Uh, I don't know, but it was the color of his energy. Her, her energy, just the same. All right, Luke. We, we, wow, you made me speed through the end of that Bellator preview to get to this big tip, Luke. Okay, it's still only twelve twenty-eight. You know, BC very efficient as the host. Luke, you know there are some people. There's a growing. There's a you know like like I don't watch like uh, Hunger Games or any weird shit like that. But there's like teams. Like, are you team? Jacob, or I don't, I don't even know what I'm talking about right now, Luke. I don't even know. Uh, vampire movies, teen movies, people have team. There's Team BC people in the MK world that think, you know, maybe I should have been hosting from day one, Luke. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of people who've had traumatic brain injuries that, you know, they have lots of things to say, but those of us who know what we're talking about don't do that. All right, Luke, let's turn uh, a serious note here. Every Friday we close <laughs> with a segment called uh, Tip to Tip or Tip on Tip or uh, Two Tips, just two guys one tip i'm i'm not really sure what we call it luke but it's where we give a uh, recommendation a tip to the cap um, i'm actually serious here okay we all know luke had a yeah this is a big one had an unfortunate turn with his gallbladder which led to uh you know a, a real take stock of his life at 41 that he wants to be around for his kids and grandkids and his wife and this show and all of our great listeners and maybe luke i just entered the same um I've had a bunch of doctor's visits because shit was off. And uh, your boy BC has something called fatty liver disease. And I uh, I will say this, Luke. Apparently, gas stations are the silent killer in the end of the day. So any recommendations, anything I've said nicely about Cumberland Farms through the years, I need to take back, particularly for our young listeners. In all seriousness, I'm a 42-year-old male who wants to be healthy. I have now finally gotten that kick in the ass to turn around my diet, to eat clean, to exercise every day, to be who I've wanted to be, Luke. No more excuses, no more anything. This does explain a lot, including things like my chronic fatigue and my questionable mental makeup uh, chemically. Uh, you eat shit for a long-ass time, Luke? It's going to catch up to you, and it's caught up to me. It's not, it's not necessarily life-threatening, but it's enough of a kick in the ass where BC's going to tell you my tip for this week Stop eating out of gas stations, and I mean that. Stop. Just stop that shit. Don't be like me, all right? I got a fatty liver, but I'm going to turn it around. I'm, I'm working on it, and I mean that, and I'm serious now. And I think, Luke, you know, we make jokes about a lot of things, but you said it yourself to me a lot over text. We're not 21 anymore. And there's a lot of, you know, middle-aged dads who watch the show that, are, that, you know, relate to us that are in this sort of category can't we can't do this shit luke you want to you want a dark ending keep doing it okay i mean those those tornadoes those those you know the the saw so oh god the one with the the one with that's like covered in syrup and on the inside there's like sausage like a rolled up pancake i can't even talk nice about them anymore luke those things are trying to kill me so um um join me join us on a real serious health turn here let's get our shit together luke mk has a lot of places it's about to go and i don't just mean our merch site that's never coming out you got a little taste a tease in Miami, you know, it's a bullshit fight. We all know that. But but it wasn't a bullshit experience or coverage or exposure. 
I want MK to go to the moon, Luke, but I got to come along with it on that mission, okay? There ain't no Canadians replacing me or you anytime soon, okay? This is American-made, and uh, I, ne I need to uh, get serious. So I will share my soul here and let you guys know that it's time for BC to clean things up, all right? It's time, actually, for us as a people to start making some changes. Change the way we eat, change the way we treat each other. You know, Luke, the old way wasn't working, so it's on us to do what we got to do to survive. Don't you go dying on me. <laughs> Dude, who, what's, what's, what's more washed? Your gross liver or my pathetic gallbladder? Which one? <laughs> I'll trade you, Luke. I'll trade you, okay? All right, maybe. Dude, it's unbelievable. I mean, it, dude, if you had told me when I was 21 that 20 years later I'd be in the ERs because of uh, extraordinary fucking gallbladder pain and uh, other ailments, I, I, I'd be like, what? What the fuck are you talking about? No, no never. And then here I am just, just, just like, dude, life will slap the shit yes, out of you will. if you let it, part. but it is. You know, I don't want to be. It's a beat down we're getting. I don't want to be country time pink lemonade anymore, Luke. Okay. You know what I mean? I don't... <laughs> Did you explore that with your physician? Yes. Hey, why do I turn the color of a hot dog left in a, uh, <laughs> left in a microwave? I guess you are what you eat in that regard. But no, seriously, Luke, here's the deal. I'm serious for a second. And I've taken my mental health very seriously the last few years through some ups and downs. It's not that I didn't know that your diet affects your mental health. Like, of course, it's one of those things we all know. But until until it's kicking your ass sometimes and you get a little scare, it's like, yeah, it affects your mood, your energy, your everything, Luke. OK, so uh, it's a little off brand for BC to clean up. But uh, I want this this MK future to be very, very strong and very on brand. So uh, I ain't going nowhere. Hey, man, health is wealth. Like I ain't going nowhere. You just dude, I'm just, for all for all you bros out there in your 20s laughing at us. Enjoy it. Because I laughed at people in their 40s too. But that day will come for you. And when it does, it will absolutely shatter what is left of your sense of masculinity and self. It would, so, it would make a great doc, enjoy. Luke, if you needed a gallbladder transplant and I needed a liver transplant and we swapped it and gave it to each other. Luke, that'd be a great, that'd be a heartwarming doc, right? Oh, I don't know. I think my liver is probably just behind yours in the race to failure. Yeah. So don't so don't worry. I have another ER visit coming up. So your liver is failing as well from 40 years of drinking Jim Beam. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, okay, that makes Mine's sense. Mine's from drinking the slippery, gross juice of a gas station hot dog. Yes, thank you. All right. Yeah. You're the guy who drinks the pickle juice in that fucking thing. That you just pull out. Uh, well, you know what? Welcome to the club of, of middle-aged health failures. It's, it's fun. Uh, for my tip, it'll be very simple. It is, you guys should watch Yasuke on Netflix. Now, let me set this up for a second. I say, you should watch it, but I say that to myself as well. I've actually not seen it. Let me set up why I bring this up. Because I went down a rabbit hole yesterday. So there's this uh, anime kind of cartoon for adults on Netflix called Yasuke. You might be like, well, who is that guy? So historians note... Because uh, I, I was trying to look it up. I This I discovered yesterday. Historians note in the 16th century, the Portuguese did, in fact, bring one of their slaves to Japan with one of their you know uh, leading figures there from Portugal. And he is, according to historians, the only essentially African or black person, really, who ever became an actual samurai in 16th century Shogun Japan, basically. And... Uh, this anime cartoon, obviously, they take some, you know, there's a lot that's not known about the guy. Um, but so they take some creative liberties with it. But they basically tell the story of his life 
through what is historically known, again, with some embellishment for literary flair. And some of the reviews early are that it's pretty incredible. So I'm actually going to start it uh, at some point this weekend. And then when we have another show maybe next week, folks will tell me what they thought about it. But it seems highly intriguing, and I'm going to give it a good look. All right, Luke. Do you think that's something I would like, or am I a little too uh, ill-cultured for that? I'm I'm like one of these guys that likes the Batmans that are a little bit darker, a little bit gorier, and this seems to be in a similar kind of vein. So just like your adult, I would film say choices, there's a Luke, decent chance. Yes, dark and gory. Yeah. Yes, there are as many punches thrown in the fights that I watch as in the as is the pornography. Oh, that's so disgusting. All right, Luke. Uh, we cleaned up this show. You know, it really wasn't heavy on jokes or entertainment, Luke. <laughs> less less spitting in MMA. <laughs> This one, we had a nice PSA for health at the end. I asked the producers if they could play the uh, the Full House serious music, but we didn't have that. Uh, it was heavy on analysis, a lot of anal, sis, Luke. So, um, yeah, a little depressing at the end. You're right. You're right, Manich. Uh, all right. So uh, we can't win them all. But if you like analysis and if you like MMA, this was the show for you. Hey, enjoy the fights this weekend. Check out Bellator 260 tonight only on Showtime. Showtime.com is your home for a 30-day free trial. Look, there's no risk, all right? It's not risky at all. All right, check that shit out. Uh, Shout out, of course, to CBS Sports, Showtime, Malka, uh, Manich and and, uh, and, and Gaff and Sally and and Al and and Mikey on the ones and twos. Thank you so much for your help and love in this regard. Thank you to the viewers. Like and subscribe. We're nothing without you, and we're we're growing, okay? So just like uh, Harold Scott Howard Foster, whatever the guy's name was, Luke, um, you know what he said. If you're coming on, come on. Come on already, all right? Join the club. Subscribe. You're going to like what you're getting here. Luke's live chat on Thursdays is a classic staple. Great interviews. Maybe we'll bring back Dissected, Resume Review, story time with Rashad, all the great bonuses that we can give you there. Uh, Luke, do you want to send the people away nicely here on the weekend uh, to come? Uh, what do you got for me? No, that's it. Uh, we will be doing a post-fight show tomorrow. And uh, what else? Um, you'll, I guess we'll be reacting on CBS Sports HQ before and after Bellator tonight. Yeah, I'm going to so, be down in the studio on Saturday night, Luke. Stanford, Connecticut. So uh, be uh, be reacting live. People can check out our MK Live reaction show with you as well. Uh, hey, Luke, how about that uh, HQ clip? CBS Sports HQ on YouTube after Mayweather Paul. We can say what we want about that fight. But 15 million people can't be wrong that tuned in and hit just push play to see you, me, and Eric Caselius break that fight down, right? I mean, 15 million people. Yeah, I did. It, yeah, 15 million is the final count. It's pretty I, – I think that might be the most traffic like, for a video I've ever like, been Like, seriously, in. say what you will about Mayweather Paul, and we have. And I still – I'm not even kidding. I've got a sore taste in my mouth because I felt like neither guy went for the knockout and really tried to make it a fun fight, right? I got a sore taste because of how much I tried to sell you that shit. Um – 15 million people watched our recap video on YouTube. 15 million! Look, if they had any idea how much we complained... (laughs) When when the producers were like, hold on, we got breaking news in soccer. Can you guys wait 15 minutes for me? If they had any idea, if anyone was recording that, Luke, that'd be be great. Yeah, we definitely showed a lot of... um professional restraint yeah you know yeah all right well for the great luke thomas uh i am brian campbell uh may all your livers and gallbladders be spayed and neutered and uh as always in these parts may all your ex-lovers stay satisfied we out